Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. Well, let's just pray. Jesus, God, we honor your presence here today. God, I thank you for your word this morning. God, I thank you for the scriptures that lead us into all truth, Jesus. And Father, as we look into the scriptures today, God, I pray that you would give us the revelation that is meant to be given through the scriptures today, Jesus. God, that your word would speak life into us this morning. Father, I pray that my speech and my preaching would not be with persuasive words of human wisdom, but would be in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That our faith would not be in the wisdom of any man, but would be in the power of God. Lord, let your word be in me as a fire shut up in my bones today. God, we pray that your word would come as a double-edged sword, dividing the flesh and the spirit, Jesus. God, that we'd walk out of here today with a fresh revelation of the kingdom, a fresh revelation of the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of us. We honor you today in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, this past couple weeks, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. The first week, we talked a lot about who the Holy Spirit is and kind of this introduction into who the Holy Spirit is, which is honestly a big question, right? Who is the Holy Spirit? There's so many things. We could spend an entire year talking about who the person of the Holy Spirit is, what he does in our lives, the transforming power he has, the gifts of the Spirit. There's so many things within Scripture that talk about this person of the Holy Spirit. So the very first week, a couple weeks ago, we gave just this brief taste of who the Holy Spirit is. And I love how Corinthians tells us who about the Holy Spirit. There's this really incredible verse in Corinthians that tells us the attributes of the Trinity. And it tells us that Paul says that he prays that the, um, that the, the, uh, the love of the Father would be with you all. He says, and the grace of Jesus. So the, it was for, for, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So the love of the father started and initiated all of this, didn't it? And then the grace of Jesus, it's the, through the grace of the cross, the grace of Jesus. The, John tells us that he came full of the spirit of truth and grace. It's the grace uh, through the grace of Jesus that we are now called the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's through the grace of Jesus that we are sons and daughters of God, that, that we have sinned and fallen short. It's through the grace of Jesus that we have been forgiven and made holy and without blemish in a single spot or wrinkle. So you have the love of the father and the grace of Jesus. And then it tells us that we have the communion of the Holy Spirit the communion of the Holy Spirit, the primary job, the primary function of the Holy Spirit is to commune with us. That the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and he never left us and he never will. Not in this life and not for all of eternity. We will have the gift of the Holy Spirit. That the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells and quickens our mortal body. That we have the communion, the fellowship. The word communion there literally means the fellowship or the mutual indwelling. Picture ropes being tied together. We have the mutual indwelling of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. The Bible tells us that he is our paraclete. 
right? He is our helper is the, is the English word that you'll read. The Greek word is the word paraclete, which means he's the counselor, right? He's the comforter. He's all of these things to us. He's, our, he's the one who comes and communes on the inside of us, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So the first week we talked about just barely scratched the surface, the introduction of who the Holy Spirit is. Last week, we talked about Jesus is our example for what it looks like to be a person filled with the Holy Spirit on this earth. So, so the first week we said the Holy Spirit comes to commune with us. The second week we looked at what does that actually look like? What does it actually look like for the Holy Spirit to be on the inside of us? And we know that Jesus is our example for everything, right? If we want to know what it looks like to be a good leader, we don't look at John Maxwell, although he has lots of great stuff. We look at the person of Jesus, right? If we want to know what it looks like to be a man or a woman full of character, we look at the person of Jesus, that Jesus is our example for everything in life, including what it looks like to be a man filled with the Holy Spirit. We all believe and we know that Jesus was both fully God and fully man, right? He was both fully God and fully man. But the Bible tells us that he came and, and, and he, he came and he, uh, he opened up the book of Isaiah and he said, he said, um, that the Holy Spirit or that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, right? And so we know that Jesus, and there's other examples, other scriptures, we know that Jesus, though he was fully God, chose to operate on this earth, not as God, but as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. If he did all of the things he did as God, then what that does in us is we look back and we are still in awe and wonder of what he did, but we stand back and applaud, right? But if he did what he did as a man filled with the Holy Spirit, then it's an invitation for us to walk as Jesus walked. It's an invitation for us to step into the anointing to the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It's an opportunity for us to step in to the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit that was in Jesus for us to be able to walk as he walked, amen? So we looked the second week at our prototype, the person of Jesus and what it looks like to be a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Today, I wanna to talk to you about what it looks like again to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but looking at Galatians chapter five and the fruit of the spirit. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Galatians chapter five, and we're gonna start in verse 16. I'm reading now out of the New American Standard Bible. It says this, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh is against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. If you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, which that word witchcraft there is the word for manipulation hostile or hostilities, 
strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, uh, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit as well. Let's not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. Paul, in this chapter, he's writing to the church, the churches of Galatia. And uh, the churches of Galatia were established by Paul somewhere in his first missionary journey. He had gone through this city and established these churches in Galatia. And after he established these churches, they were living as Paul taught, right? They were living through the power and the gift and the leading of the Holy Spirit. They had accepted their new nature in Christ. They had been forgiven of all of their sins and they were living out their new nature in Christ. And they were doing things right. Somewhere along the way, in between Paul's first missionary journey and when Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians, or writing this letter of Galatians, somewhere along the way, the people in the churches of Galatia were being persuaded or were being influenced by a group that was called the Judaizers. That was, uh, whenever I say Judaizers, all I think of is Judy Chop. I don't know if any of you have ever seen that video or not. So, so forgive me if I chuckle every time I say Judaizers, because all I see is the guy Judy Chopping. But anyways, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Half of you are going, I know exactly what you're talking about. And half of you are going, what the heck is he talking about, right? But they, they were being influenced. The church of Galatia was being influenced by this group uh, that was called the Judaizers. Now, the Judaizers were a group of people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed in Jesus and they believed in following Jesus. But they also believed that we should maintain and keep the Mosaic law. So in their mind, we should have Jesus, yes, but we should also keep the rituals of circumcision and the feast and all of the things that the Mosaic law, uh, the Mosaic law asks us to keep. So the Judaizers reintroduced the law into their lives and with it, the self-effort that comes with keeping the law. Someone set this up here which I was excited about because sometimes I have trouble reading, but then there's no batteries in it. So I think it was just a dirty trick from somebody. <laughs> so the Judaizers introduced, reintroduced the law to the church of Galatia and with it, the self-effort that comes with keeping the law. So their solution was this, was to follow Jesus, but continue following the Mosaic law. Believe in Jesus but abide by all of the Jewish customs. So in other words, they didn't believe Christ's transforming power was sufficient. They believe we still needed the law to live holy, or as Paul puts it, they mixed grace and the law, a distorted 
gospel. And here, here was the fear that the Judaizers had and the reason they believed we should keep the law. The fear the Judaizers, uh, the fear that the Judaizers had was that if you remove the restraints of the law, if you remove the restraints of the law, then the, that leaves a person with no restraints at all and the flesh can have heyday. It's heyday, right? So their fear was that, that, that if you preach this message of grace, of freedom from the law and remove the restraints of the religious system and remove the restraints of the Mosaic law, then what you're asking for is people to have no rules, no law, and also have no consequences. They were afraid that there would be no restraint and therefore, and, and, then, the, and then also without the restraint, there's no consequences to their, uh, to their living to the flesh and thus we'll have chaos, right? The teacher's in the room today. Let me ask you, if, if you were to leave your classroom and not give any rules, any regulations, and you tell them, listen, you can do whatever you want. You have been set free. What, what would that look like when you came back? <laughs> chaos. chaos, right? Like we have a lot of cute, cuddly kids here at the church, but all of them are capable of mass destruction, right? <laughs> if you leave them to their own devices, they're capable of causing a lot of havoc, right? Like, like just yesterday, uh, Amber and the kids spent the, the morning cleaning the house. I was busy studying for today, so I got out of cleaning the house. <laughs> But the kids were, they were all busy cleaning the house. Within five minutes after we were done cleaning the house and Amber went up to get ready for the day and I was in the office studying. Within five minutes, the house was completely destroyed, right? Toys everywhere, shoes and socks that they didn't even have on that day somehow ended up in the middle of the living room. You know, it was just utter chaos. And this is what the Judaizers were afraid of. They were afraid that if you preach this message of grace, which they believed in grace, they believed in Jesus. But if you preach this message of grace apart from the law and say that there is no law, they were afraid that we were giving people a license to sin without any consequences. This was their fear. And honestly, the Judaizers had a point right? If you preach a message of grace without restraint, then it does leave open this idea that you have this license to get away with whatever you want. And then you can come back to Jesus, right? God, forgive me. And there's no consequences. This message of grace without restraint was terrifying the Judaizers. So their solution was to let keep both Jesus and Moses grace and the law faith and works freedom and legalism. Let's practice both. Let's practice both, which sounds like it'd be a good solution, right? Only one problem. The law hasn't worked for thousands of years already. The law hasn't worked for thousands of years already. Following the law hasn't worked because the law was limited by the weakness of our flesh. 
The law was limited by the weakness of our flesh. Romans 8 verse 3 says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son. So they tried the law, right? The law trying to be righteous and holy through the law hasn't worked for thousands of years. And it's not, listen, it's not that the law was evil. It's not that God made a mistake by trying out the law first. And then he saw that that didn't work. And so he sent the, sent Jesus that the law was never intended to make us righteous. The law is good. It's pure. It's holy and right. But its job was never intended to make us righteous. Romans chapter 7 tells us, the entire chapter spells this out, that the purpose of the law was not to make us righteous. The purpose of the law was to expose sin on the inside of us. It says that sin lay dormant in every human being. And what the law did is it brought that sin to the surface so that it could be dealt with. That the purpose of the law was not to make us righteous. The purpose of the law was to expose sin. That God's plan all along was never for us to be righteous through the law. But our, his plan all along was always for us to be righteous through the precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That was always his purpose. And the law's job was not to make us righteous. The law's job was to expose sin, the nature of sin that lived inside of us. All right. So the Judaizers wanted to mix grace and the law because of the, their fear of having grace without restraint. But we know that the law has not worked for thousands of years. So if the law doesn't work to restrain the flesh, then what is the answer. What is the answer? Galatians tells us, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of of the flesh for the desire of the flesh is against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh for those for these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want but if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law what is paul saying here he's saying that 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 when you are being led by the spirit the law then has no value for you because the law now doesn't determine what the rules are now you are actually led by the spirit that is on the inside of you and it's been prophesied it was prophesied clear back in ezekiel that this would happen ezekiel verse 36 says i will or chapter 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone of, out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And here it is. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So what is Paul doing here? Paul gives us a third option. Not the way of the law and not a lawless life free without restraint. 
This third option is not a middle of the road, but a highway above the other two. It is a highway of freedom above the statutes of the law and the sinful nature of the flesh. So this, this way of uh, this third option that he gives was saying that it's above the statutes of the law, but it also works above the natural tendencies of the flesh. And it's the way of the spirit that when we are led by the spirit, we rise above the statutes of the law, right? We no longer need a teacher because the Holy Spirit teaches us. And it says we are also above the sinful nature of the flesh because we have been given a new nature. We have been given a new nature. Amen. Is everybody with me this morning? This is a lot of scripture. I know I'm throwing at you this morning. Is everybody with me? Yeah. Amen. Got a thumbs up. Good. God's original plan all along was not that you would walk according to a list of rules, but that you would walk according to the impulses of the spirit. That we are led by the spirit. There was a really good radio show on not, not too many years ago called be, or what was it? Spirit led living. Anybody remember spirit led living? Yeah. A few people. It was uh, some, some uh, really well-known guy named Ron Meyer that hosted that program. Spirit-led living. And that's what this is, that we are led by the Spirit of God. It says that we, that we won't sin. We won't be led into sin when we are led by the Spirit of God. Amen? Now, I want to clarify here, because I've heard this before, that, oh, I'm led by the Spirit of God. And I heard the Holy Spirit tell me that I'm supposed to marry this person I know they're already married, but the spirit of God told me that this is the one, right? And so this is not an excuse to live however you want. That's not a magical phrase that, oh, I'm led by the spirit of God, right? That there is a standard and the standard is, is really twofold. It's the scriptures and it's the example and the character of Jesus himself, Right? So if it doesn't look like Jesus, then it ain't the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> so there is an example. So this, this phrase being led by the Spirit isn't a, doesn't mean it's a free-for-all that you go by your feelings because it's not about feelings. It's about the actual person of the Holy Spirit speaking to you and through you. And he will never contradict. Let me say it again. He will never contradict this word or the person in the character of Jesus. Amen. That's a little caveat I want to put in there. We are led by the spirit. We no longer need the law because we have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. Paul then goes on to do something really interesting. He contrasts what it looks like to walk in the flesh and what it looks like to walk in the spirit. Verse 19, I'm going to go ahead and read it. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing. I think I'm saying that right. Am I saying that right? Carousing? Carousing. That's it. I knew that. I was testing all y'all. Carousing. And things like these, some of you are all thinking, is this, 
list of somebody I know. <laughs> Anyways, things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So this, you can say it like this, this list is the fruit of, the, of living in the flesh. This is the byproduct of what it looks like when you live according to the flesh. But then he goes on and he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law, which means that all of these things, if you live in the fruit of the spirit, you will, as a byproduct, fulfill the law. You will fulfill the law. All right, it's going to get fun now. You guys ready? They're like, yes, please get fun, because it's been boring up until now. <laughs> Here's what it says. I think it's interesting that Paul uses the word fruit instead of the word works. That it's not the works of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Here, here's the crux of the message today. You ready? Fruit is a byproduct of the nature of the tree. Did you catch that? Fruit is a byproduct of the nature of the tree, right? If you plant, we've got a group of farmers in the room today. You've all just planted corn and beans, right? Corn and soybeans. In the field that you planted, when you planted corn, are you expecting apples to come out of the ground? No, because the fruit is a byproduct of the nature of the seed that was planted. So Paul doesn't tell us that these are the works of the fruit of the, or the works of the spirit. These aren't the, the things that we do, that these fruits are the natural byproduct of the nature of the person that they are coming out of. It's fruit. It's the nature of the tree, right? So how do we know then that we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us? How do we know that we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us? We exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. We show what comes out of us is the fruit of the Spirit. I don't have time today to go into it, but there's a difference between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, right? There's a gifts of the Spirit and there's the fruit of the Spirit. Both of them are incredibly important. Both of them are needed and both of them reveal the nature of Jesus and both of them reveal the nature of God. But what I'm talking about today is the fruit of the Spirit. And let me say this, that the fruit of the Spirit is a better determining factor of whether or not someone has the fruit or has the Holy Spirit inside of them than the evidence of speaking in tongues. That the fruit of the Spirit is a better indicator of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them than somebody standing up here and prophesying. That those are gifts given to a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit, but the fruit, the byproduct of being filled with the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The byproduct of being filled with the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. I've met people who have had spiritual gifts, but have lacked the fruit of the spirit. I have met people and wherever you're at with the gift of tongues, that's not what I'm here to talk about this morning, but I have met people who speak in tongues and are the meanest people you have ever met on the face of the planet. And I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, it's a better indicator that the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you when you exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. Again, I'm not diminishing the gifts of the Spirit. Maybe someday we'll talk about those. That's not what I'm here talking about this morning. Today I'm talking about the nature of the tree, that your nature has been changed that you no longer walk according to the flesh, but you walk according to the spirit. You, you actually have the very nature of God living on the inside of you that you have been made, you have been brought back and restored into the likeness and the image of God, which was God's original intent and plan. And now we, the nature that lives on the inside of us exhibits the fruit of the spirit. And this is what the fruit of the spirit looks like. That you have love, and joy and peace, patience, and the fruit of the Spirit. So how do we know the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us? We exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? What are the fruits of the Spirit? Let's take just a minute and just look over these fruits of the Spirit. What are the fruits of the Spirit? The very first one, love. And this is no ordinary love. This is agape love. It's the love that God is. When God describes himself and God says, says that, that I am love, he is saying that I am agape. So the very first fruit of the spirit is not ordinary love. It is agape love. It is the love that God is. This is the supreme fruit of the spirit. The fruit that all of the other fruits flow out of. So joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of those things flow from the fruit of love. It's the supreme fruit of the spirit. Love is the supreme command given by Jesus. In Matthew 22, verse 37, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then it goes on, it says this amazing thing. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. That all of the law and all of the things the prophets prophesied about can be summed up in these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. First Corinthians 13 tells us that love is even above the gifts of the spirit. That you can prophesy the mysteries of God, but if you don't have love, then it amounts to nothing. That you are a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. That love is the supreme fruit of the spirit. The next one is joy. For the kingdom of God, it says in Romans 14, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That once again, the kingdom of God is not about regulations and stipulations and do's and don'ts. The kingdom of God is about righteousness and holy joy. Holy joy. 
joy that endures trials. It was the joy set before him that he endured the cross. The joy set before Jesus allowed him to go through the suffering of the cross. And this is the joy that we are said that we exhibit when we have the fruit of the spirit inside of us. The next one is peace. This isn't quiet peace, right? All the moms and dads, when you hear the word peace, you just think of no noise, right? <laughs> this isn't that kind of peace. This is peace that comes from a confidence that you are made righteous through Jesus. It's a settledness within your spirit that come what may, I know that I am a son and a daughter of God. It's a confidence in knowing who you are. It's the opposite of living a life striving to earn the favor of God. This piece is the opposite of what it means to live and try to earn your salvation through works. It's a peace, a settledness and knowing that you are your beloved's and he is yours. Amen. The next one is patience. Romans two, verse four, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads to repentance. His patience is part of his goodness. He is patient in our failures and we are to be patient in others failures. Let me say that again. He is patient in our failures and we are called to be patient in the failures of others. Kindness. Jesus once met a woman who was caught in adultery. He met a tax collector. He met another woman who was married five different times. He met blind beggars and prostitutes. And when everyone else wanted to discard them, Jesus gave them dignity. When everyone else wanted to throw them to the side, Jesus lifted them up. And it was his kindness that did so. We are called to walk in that kindness as well, to treat people with dignity and honor and respect. And even though they have failures, even though they have weaknesses, even though they have problems, we treat them as the precious gift of God that they are, that they were made in his image and likeness and they deserve dignity and respect. It was his kindness that caused him to do so. Next one is goodness. We aim at being good and doing good in every situation to live above par and with excellence in everything that we do. Faithfulness. This is not faith like I put my faith in Jesus. This is being faithful like Jesus. This is being faithful like Jesus, meaning you do what you say and you stick to your commitments. Fruit of the spirit, faithfulness, gentleness. We treat others with respect and dignity, even if they don't reciprocate it. Self-control. This is mastery over oneself. Mastery over oneself, that we learn how to live disciplined lives, that we learn what it looks like to be self-controlled, that when the flesh rises up and wants us to act, we have self-control, we have self-restraint, we have mastery over ourself. 
and it is a fruit of the Spirit. It is evidence of the Spirit's work in our lives. This becomes the litmus test for whether or not the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. The question is, do you possess the fruits? Do you possess the fruits of the Spirit? I'll end with this story here. A couple of years ago, Malachi was in first grade. He looked up at me. I caught his attention there. He was in first grade, and uh, like all kids, he was dealing with a few different behavioral issues and different things. And so uh, I had this bright idea, and by I, I mean Amber, had this bright idea <laughs> to begin praying every night with all three of our kids and begin teaching them the fruit of the Spirit. And so we, we even bought a poster. And if you go into our house, even right now, you'll see this, this poster hanging on our, refri our refrigerator of the fruits of the Spirit. And we wanted, we began, uh, we began reading the fruit of the Spirit every day with them and talking about what each one of those things looks like. And not only did we begin showing them what the fruit of the Spirit was, we began praying that the Holy Spirit would be on the inside of him, Right? Because again, it's fruit of the spirit. It's the byproduct of the nature what is it, that is inside. So we, we are not praying just that he would have good behavior. We were praying that his nature would be good behavior. That it, that it wouldn't be something he has to, to uh, necessarily even choose, that, but that it'd be a byproduct of the person that he was, that the fruit of the spirit would be in him. So we begin praying and reading the fruit of the spirit uh, over him and over all of our kids. We didn't want him just to obey the rules. We wanted him to walk in his new nature. And that's what I'm telling you today. The spirit, you know, that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we immediately think of the gifts of the spirit. We immediately think of those sorts of things. But the Holy Spirit is so much more involved in our lives than just giving us gifts for ministry. That we are actually to live every day being led by the Spirit. That we have been given a new nature. We are a new person. That we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to the flesh. But we have given a new nature and we are made in the image and likeness of God. And it is the Holy Spirit who teaches us what that nature looks like. It is the Holy Spirit who leads us to begin acting and begin uh, to begin acting on that new nature that is on the inside of us. And he gives us this fruit of the spirit. And so what I want to tell you today is that the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you. And that if we are led by the spirit. Then it says that that we'll no longer walk in the flesh. We'll no longer walk in sin, but we'll begin to walk in our new nature. That we'll begin to walk in our new nature. And what does that new nature look like? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And above these fruits, above these fruits, the law cannot stand.